have our visitors with us. We, we really appreciate the encouragement that you bring your family out and for Bible study and to join in with the saints. And uh, it's, it's obvious that you planned it and you purposed in your heart. Uh, we appreciate that while you travel. And, and um, we thank you for the encouragement. This morning, I want to talk a little bit. I got this thing on. There's on now, I think. Um, this morning, we want to talk about um, looking at God's Word, how we look at God's Word. And um, we're going to start off. The introduction is going to be that, you know, it's it's not within us to, to manage our steps. It's not within human's power to do that. And Judges 21, 25, and we can, I make mention of this as uh, for uh, Genesis classes, even back at that time, man could not manage himself and be faithful to God. But in Judges 21, 25, it says everyone did what was right in, in his own eyes. So people human society has not changed. They, we still want to do what we want to do. Jeremiah 10 verses 23 and 24 and I'm not reading all these passages but this is kind of introductory. I know Lord that a man's way is not in himself nor is it a man who walks to direct his steps. So Jeremiah here is, is prophesying to, to Judah during this time and he's telling it's not within man to direct his own steps Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6 Proverbs 3 5 through, through 6 trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding so trust in the Lord with all your heart in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We must trust God. And so how do we how do we do that? How do we lean not lean on our own understanding but that we trust God with everything? How do we have that confidence? How can we see that? Proverbs 4 14 verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. How many of you have laid out the plan, your plan, and this is how it should work? Here's my contingencies. I do that every day. And they are great plans. They are wonderful plans. And not a single one of them has come to fruition the way I planned it. But more importantly, then this physical world and us and what we do in our jobs is what are we planning for our future? It seems right what we might be planning, but it's not within us to do that. We have to go to God. Going to the New Testament, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 7, sorry, I should have given you the verses. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And when I will declare to them, I, will, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. To me, this is one of those, I mean, there's a number of passages that I look at and I look, and wow, this is, this is heavy because they're prophesying, they've cast out demons in God's name, and God says he's going to reject them for their practice lawlessness. How did they miss, how did they miss what God wanted them to do? And I, and I ask that question so that I don't fall into that trap. Am I doing what Clay wants? Am I looking at Clay's wisdom? Or am I looking at God's wisdom? Going back to the Old Testament, we have examples of where people substituted their wisdom, their actions for God's. And, you know, Moses being one. And, and in Numbers 20, verses 8 through 13, we're not going to read all of that. This is where Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. But God told him to speak to the rock, to glorify him by speaking to the rock. Now in verse 10, I, I want to point out something here. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? I read that statement. I see a very frustrated Moses. I see a Moses that, that is, is put out with the children of Israel. You rebels. But it didn't matter what Moses' situation was. He disobeyed God. In verse 12, he said, But the Lord said to Moses, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Speaking and striking a rock is pretty simple. And for us humans... You know, there's times I just want to overlook things. You know, that's okay. Water still came out. We still got people watered. But to God, it wasn't treating him holy. And I want you to notice how God wants to be treated holy. And so he, he gives us instructions. He wants us to follow them. We can't do it our way. 1 Samuel 15 Verses 18 through 23. We have, uh, we have here Saul. And he's supposed to go out and, and slay the Amalekites. And he was given very specific instructions on what to do. And, and starting in verse 18, And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Those are very harsh words from God. I find the Old Testament very bloody. I, I, you know, there's just no questions about that. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Verse 19 of 1 Samuel 15. 
but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on, on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I have brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of things devoted to, devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God of Gilgal. God, we made it better. We brought things back to sacrifice to you. And so Samuel said to him in verse 22, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed uh, than the fat of the rams. For your rebellion is, a, is the sin of divination insubordination as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you being king. Now there's more to that story. There's a great lesson there. But the whole point I'm trying to make is we see where God gives instructions. People obey most of those instructions, but they didn't follow them completely. God is holy. We're coming, we're supposed to be coming to our God because He is holy. He wants us to be holy. And so, and the question is, how do we know that we're coming before God and that we're holy and that we're following His instructions and that we're doing His will? Is there things in the Bible? And, and there's one thing that makes us a little bit harder. And what makes it harder is in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. What makes it harder? In verse 17, it says, For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So not only, not only as Christians, we got to figure out how to serve God, but he's wanting us to serve him and be looking at the unseen things. Is he tricky? So how am I going to do that? So the point here is, can I look at man? Can I look at everything I see around us? Can I go get all these self-help books and figure out what God wants me to do? And I want to propose to you, I can't. Because he's telling me to dwell on things unseen. If he's telling me to do that, who are the people that have seen the unseen things? Who are those people today? Anybody want to list somebody that's seen the unseen things? I think we have to go back to the first century. We have to go back to what the first century church. We have to go back in the Old Testament when Moses walked or, or talked and Enoch walked with God. So we have people that have seen the unseen things, but I don't see anybody around today that's performing miracles that I can say, ooh, that's from God. 
So think about what God has asked us to do. And I don't think it's hard. I don't think, and that's what the lesson's about this morning. It's not hard to do this. But it does take action. It does take study. And it takes all of us to grow together in this. Because he's not a tricky God. He gave Saul very specific instructions. He gave Moses very specific instructions. And it's up to us to follow those. It's for up to us to understand those. Because that tells us where our faith is and what we're doing. So, one of the interesting things, so uh, there's, there's a number of things on this lesson. But I want you to turn to John before we go into where we're really going to spend a lot of time in Acts 15. But John 13, verses 34 through 35. So this is not, this verse is not on authority. But it's just an illustration to show how Christ taught. Which I think relates to authority. But it's interesting that in these two verses, there's three things Christ makes a statement about that I think we can apply to whenever we're trying to figure out how to serve God. And the first is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That is a complete commandment, right? He told us to love one another. Now that's, that's easy to say, right? That's a commandment. The second thing that goes here is even as I loved you. What's he saying there? I'm going to command you to love one another. I'm also giving you the example. Even as I loved you. So he, he not only gave a command, he then gave an example as I loved you. He gave that instruction. So how am I going to figure out how Christ loved us? Well, i got to go figure out what he did, right? Can I do that? I think I can. And then that you also love one another. And then verse 35, he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you follow the command and look at my example and apply those two, the world's going to be able to infer that you're my disciples. Your actions, your example, things that you do, people are going to be able to logically look and say, wow, those are Christians. Those are followers of Christ. Do you see the three points that Christ used to teach here? And I just think that's pretty cool. So let's go to our, where we're going to spend most of our time. That was the introduction, by the way. So most of our time is going to be in Acts 15. So there's a lot of things I want to point out here. But first, let's think about Acts 15. So if, if the dates are correct that I read, so if Christ died in 30 AD, Cornelius is taught in 39. So about nine years after Cornelius, nine years after Christ's death, Cornelius, uh, is is uh, being being taught by Peter, and then ten years after that, we have the church at Antioch in forty nine 
having this issue between the first and second missionary journeys, having this discussion and having this problem about do you have to be circumcised to be saved? And that's where we want to spend our time. And the interesting thing is, is we, we Christians, me included, we think about the first century church. Well, they had the Holy Spirit. They, they, they didn't have to worry about making mistakes. They had the Holy Spirit. But as we go through this, I want you to look how this is brought out and how this is logically played out here. That's what I want you to see. First, I want you to note one thing. The first century church had problems. They had conflict. And in verse 2 here, and so verse 1, here's the problem statement. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. That was the problem statement. That's what they were trying to solve. So the church in Antioch, who had Paul and Barnabas there, there was great dissension, great debate. So it's according to how you want to play this story, because we're not told, but there's great dissension, great debate. I don't think, you know, was these great Judaizing teachers that was causing conflict purposely in the church? Or was these people honestly thinking this? Because we're going to read later on that there's going to be some Pharisees that stand up between and, and the elders uh, in, in Jerusalem that make the same statement. I can relate to that. You have a preconceived idea and circumcision is a big thing. You've got to be circumcised to be Jewish, to be a proselyte. So you can kind of understand after, you know, 1,500 years why the Jews would say this. I mean, I'm going to have sympathy for them. I'm not going to. So there's great dissension. But the whole point is they couldn't solve it at Antioch. So the church at Antioch said, hey, Paul Barnabas, go back down to Jerusalem and let's answer this question. So they go down. On verse 3, uh, Paul and Barnabas is going through Samaria and Phoenicia and, and, and they're, they're praising the Lord and they're, they're uh, talking about the conversion of the Gentiles. And uh, also note, Paul being a good Jew, he's going through Samaria. Think about some of the changes that are going on because Jews wouldn't go through Samaria. Now we, we have John 4, but there's, there's a lot more in this story, I think, than, than just than just, just uh, the bigger parts. So they arrived in Jerusalem. And then in verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So there's no question, there's no question what people are teaching in Antioch and what people are thinking in, in Jerusalem and if I was a Jew, that I mean, I you know, I I could I'd be right there. You you got to be circumcised. God, God, this is a covenant that God put back here. Can you can you imagine? And I think these are these are these are Pharisees that obeyed the gospel. So um, so we're going to talk about three different speeches here. We're going to talk about three different speeches here real quick. 
But one of the things I want to point out the conclusion. I want to point out the conclusion. We have we have three different speeches, but in Acts 15, 28, so this is the conclusion. Acts 15, verse 28. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Now I want you to I want you to watch. I want you to watch in these three speeches where the Holy Spirit directed them to speak. Okay? At this moment. But notice that's what they're writing to the church at Antioch. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burdens. So, the first part of this is, is verses 7 through 11. Peter gets up. Hang on before. Yeah, Peter gets up. But in verse 7, notice what it says there in verse 7. There had been great debate. There had been great debate. Let's not miss that part of the story. If we're going to find the truth, we need to be discussing it. As much as I would like to tell you, I am a smart guy and I've got it figured out, I don't. Now I will tell you, it's a humbling experience whenever um, Reagan catches me. He's 30 years my younger. What's he mean by saying that? But guess what? That's what we all need, right? So there's great debate going on here. I'm trying to point out that getting to the truth takes work. It takes a congregation. It takes people working through the Word of God. I talked about Reagan correcting me. It's not so bad whenever Mark corrects me. He's at least my elder. The point is, we got, we're going to have to work through these things, right? That's what we see in the first century church. So, Peter gets up, stood up, and said to them, Brethren, verse 7, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of, God, of the gospel and believe. He was referring back to Cornelius' household, which happened ten years prior to this. If my dates are correct, I'm going to throw that in there. Um... And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test and place upon the neck of his disciples a yoke which neither uh, our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So Peter's argument here is he's going back to Cornelius' household. He's making the arguments there. So he's going back to the story that we read in Acts 10. So let's go, 
So he, he's saying, God spoke, you know, God, you know, made a choice among you that I would go to the Gentiles. And he's, he's making the argument, you know, why are we going to put this? Peter was a good Jew. So back in Acts 10, verse 28, notice, notice what is said here. Acts 10, verse 28. This is where Peter is referring back. And he said to them, You yourself know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or visit with him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even, even raising an objection when I was sent for you, sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me. How did God tell Peter to go to Cornelius? He didn't come, he did come in, he said, told him, he, he did tell him to go at one point. But how did Peter figure out that? that the clean and unclean was there. He saw a vision, and he said, all of this is clean now. What I have made clean, let it be. Guess what? Peter figured out, these animals over here that you're showing me is telling me that the Gentiles are now part of salvation. He figured it out. He necessarily inferred that that's what God was teaching him. That's what he figured out. That's And so in this passage here, you start seeing Peter figuring out things. In verse 34, um, verse 34, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. He's talking to Cornelius and his household there in, in chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. He's figured it out. And, and the most telling factor here is, is in chapter 10, verse 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who were listening to the message. All the uncircumcised. So the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out to the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues, exalting God. Then Peter answered. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized. Did, Christ, did, did the Holy Spirit tell Peter that they need to be baptized? It did he showed him a vision said, all this is clean. We're all equal. Peter figured out once the Holy Spirit had come upon them, he said, whoa, what's going to keep, you know, surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Now just a little bit of extra. You're, you're, not, you're not paying for this this morning, okay? Just for a little bit of extra here on authority. And this is, this is, this is, to me, this is so cool. Notice what Paul, Peter said here. Who can refuse water to these? 
What is, what is water mean? Well, just as a bonus, go back to Acts 2, 37 and 39. Peter speaks. Notice they said, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You reckon when Peter, whenever over in Acts 10, whenever he's writing down to be baptized, what's going to hinder these people to have water? He's baptism was synonymous with salvation. That's just a bonus program, right? But you see how the scriptures are connected. Peter didn't didn't think baptism wasn't essential because he said it over in Acts two. You think he changed his mind in ten in, in eight in nine years between the day of Pentecost and whenever he was at Cornelius' household? I don't think so. I just want you to kind of see that how the Holy Spirit has put all this together for us. Um, go to Acts 11. He's retelling the story of Cornelius. And in verse 16 and 18, notice in verse 17, he says, Therefore, I see this. Therefore, I can make this conclusion. I need to save that moment. It kind of makes me sound like John. A little bit, whatever he's preaching. Uh, he gave us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He's pointing out to the people in Jerusalem 10 years earlier that the, the Gentiles should be saved. Now, just interesting that Peter is making these comments. I want to make sure you understand. As Peter stands up and Peter is a stalwart of the first century church. Matter of fact, some religions actually teach he was the head of the church, but I don't think he was. But guess what? Over in Galatians, as powerful as Peter is, and he's one of the three people at, the, at this council in Jerusalem, at this gathering, in Galatians we have Paul standing and, and opposing Peter because he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. My point is, we all get it wrong sometimes. But notice Peter here is standing for the truth. But over in Galatians, we have that. Now, going on to the next, all the people kept silent and they were listening to Bar verse 12. And all the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating that what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So would, would the Holy Spirit provide these signs and wonders among the Gentiles if the Gentiles were not supposed to be saved? And that they were preaching the word to the Gentiles. And the inference here is Paul hadn't been telling people they needed to be circumcised. Right? Oh, but hold on. Didn't he have Timothy circumcised? That's for another purpose. He was becoming all things to all men. It was not for salvation. And then... We have James. So we have all these examples of the miracles amongst the Gentiles, and we didn't tell them to be circumcised. So that's an example. 
And then Amos, excuse me, James stands up. And, at, and after they had stopped speaking, Paul and Barnabas, James answered saying, Brethren, listen to me. Verse 13, si, verse 14, Simon uh, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from uh, among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, word, with this, the words of the prophet agree just as it is written. We didn't have the New Testament scriptures that we have today. What did James do? He went back to the Old Testament and showed this is God's plans. He understood God's scriptures. He went back to the Old Testament and he said, verse 16, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Verse 19, therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, and from what is strangled and from blood. Do we see that there was a problem in the New Testament church? And we see people coming together. We see great debate. And we see people using things that had happened to reason through to set the standard. That's what we see here. And they used that this happened. So they said, by this happening, this must be true. James goes back to direct command. We see all of these examples of the miracles and things being that are occurring to convert the Gentiles. And so the whole point is, is through this whole reasoning and logic, the Holy Spirit didn't come down and sit on James and say, do this. But the Holy Spirit had done many other things previously. And the reason I gave you the timeline was that this timeline is 20 years from when Christ died. And they were reasoning through that. So the point here is, if I study, and I work through God's plan, and I work daily, I humble myself, I believe I can get to the right answers. I have faith that I can see the unseen. In God's word. I have faith. That I can. Go to heaven. And be faithful. How do I know that? Because I see the first century church. Working through that. And they have less than I do. At this time. I have their writings now. So I have So the point is, can we know what God wants us to do? And I'm not going to say some self-help or somebody's writing somewhere might not you know, explain something in the scriptures. I'm telling you the scriptures, you can learn from the scriptures and it can explain itself. And I want to point out something here. I love 
book, chapter, and verse studies. And whenever I say book, chapter, and verse, I like to go through Galatians, the first chapter, through Galatians, the sixth chapter, and study just that. But I want you to notice that three people brought three different experiences to prove what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. Peter and Cornelius' household. Paul and Barnabas going to the Gentiles with miracles. And James going to the Old Testament quoting the scripture. So sometimes I just can't go through every book. I've got to go to a few different places. I want you to please note that there's three different places these people go to prove this. But the point is the truth was taught. They reasoned through it and they gave credit to the Holy Spirit even though we don't see the Holy Spirit speaking here. Not like we did on the day of Pentecost. So as Christians, this the lesson's yours. We can figure out what God wants us to do. But one of the things, too, I want to point out. They were in Antioch. They didn't pay a $150 ticket to get on Southwest to fly down to Jerusalem to have this conversation. They had to walk. And they didn't get on Marta. They didn't do any of the modern transportation. They had to walk. They had to walk through. And if you notice in those scriptures, uh, whenever they're sending the letter back, people that risk their lives for the gospel. It actually says that. They had to work for it. How do we grow our faith? We grow our faith by working for it. And whenever I say working for it, studying God's Word, it means that I've got to get with people because I don't have all the right ideas. I didn't see that in that verse. And I will dare say that every man in here, and, and I would say every woman too, is, is not going to say they got it all. And if you do, we're going to start studying together because I'm not. I need, I need help. But the whole point is, how do we get to the truth and how do we take a church and how do we grow a church over the next 20 years and how do we grow our young people? It is not by my fabulous personality. Y'all supposed to laugh at that kind of stuff. It's through God's word. And we can learn it. We just saw how people figured out circumcision was not a part of salvation. But you know what? People had to walk many miles to do that. There was great debate. I'm sure there was tension. I, don't, I can't tell you the tension, but I'm sure there was some. There was people that got frustrated. How dare you say that? The point is, we can get there. We need to get there together. We need to study God's Word because He's revealed enough for us to learn. And if we want to learn mistruths, the devil's there to help us with that too. So if there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, if there's anyone here that needs to repent of sins, we are here to help one another. We are here 
to hold hands and get all of us to heaven. That's our job. That's our responsibility. It's your job to help me. And I'm thankful for this congregation. I'm thankful for everyone here, how encouraging you are. And encouragement sometimes means that you're correct. And we appreciate that. So if there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel or needs to repent of any sins, please come forward as we stand.